Good morning and welcome to the broadcast or podcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. I want to talk to you about going deeper with God in prayer. Farther than you've ever been before into a lifestyle of answered prayer. It's not about just getting your desires met. It's not the point. It begins with who you seek. It starts initially with what you seek and it ends with who you seek. The first words that Jesus ever speaks in the Gospel of John are, what do you seek? And after his resurrection, he confronts Mary Magdalene with these words, whom do you seek? All of our seeking in prayer begins with a what, and is supposed to lead us to a who. Today I want to talk to you about going deeper with God in prayer, into a lifestyle where answered prayer becomes normal. Would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you for this this moment in time appointed to learn, to advance in our knowledge of you, to increase in our understanding and awareness of your desires for us. What you have for us, God, is above and beyond all that we could ask or think. So today, Father, as we dive into answered prayer, I pray today, Lord, that there would be a fresh revelation of your Holy Spirit upon us. And that all of the things, Lord, that are concerns in our lives would melt away with simply a glimpse of your face, an awareness of your presence, a knowledge that above and beyond everything else, we really only have one prayer request, and that is you. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into this, this, this amazing mystery of union this reconciled rest in the heart of the Father. Lord, let us be aware, more than we've ever been before, of the nearness of your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to take you to Romans chapter 8, 28, uh, verse 28. They're one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. I want to read it to you, and we're going to use this as a launching pad to talk about going deeper with God in prayer than we've ever been before. We know the way the verse reads is like this. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. I'll read it again. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So let's break this verse down even more. All means all in this verse. That's not complicated. All things work, and that is every moving piece, every circumstance, everything going on in this world. All things that work together, and the connection between all of these things is, of course, evident. You can't make a choice without affecting the life of somebody else in some way, somehow. Even if it affects your attitude, even if it just affects you, it affects the people that are connected to you. But most of the time when we make choices, it impacts somebody else around us. It testifies to the reality of our connection. Go back to the verse. We know, in other words, there's a revelation here that all things, every circumstance, everything that exists is united, can be united, and then it says for good. Now, we understand that each of those things by themselves may themselves not be good. And we're talking about everything, beautiful things, things that are filled with hope, things that carry the grace of God, the touch of the Lord on them, things that are righteous. What about the other things in the world? 
There's other elements going on in the world. There are evil things, dark things, wicked things, even violent things. Stuff that is completely contrary to the values of heaven also exists within the realm of the all. It doesn't say we know that good things work together for good. He said we know, we know that all things work together for good. Well, where's the key there? Does that mean that everything always turns out good? No. There's, there's a key here to understanding. And especially when it comes to prayer, I think it matters a lot. It says, to those who love God. Now, let's just turn this around a second and, and realize that what we're talking about here is the focused intention to push every other distraction away and focus in on one thing. The object of our love becomes the focus of our prayer. Let's say you're going through a circumstance and that circumstance is taking up all your attention. You have a physical issue going on in your life. You have a job situation happening. You have something going on relationally in your life. And so that becomes the object of your attention. And whatever has your attention has your affection. Now, you may, of course, love God. But in that moment, the thing that has gripped your attention and arrested your affection becomes the circumstance. So what do we typically do? We pray to God about changing the circumstance. But the reality is this, this prayer that we're praying has now taken our attention or become evidence of taking our attention off of the things of God and onto God, please show up and fix the things of this world. Most of the time, I mean, I think that's, that's totally uh, understandable. It's reasonable for us to be going through a difficult circumstance and want God to show up and fix it. But most of the time, I believe the answer to the prayer does not lie in on focusing on the circumstance. The answer to every prayer begins with love for God. The answer to the negative and the circumstances suddenly turning into a positive begins with a revelation of our love for God, not our attention diverted onto the circumstance not our fixation upon the issue at hand. So think of it like this. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose or called according to his purpose. The purpose that you and I were even created for was communion with the Lord. The purpose that we were created for was to, as Jesus said in John 17, 4, to glorify his name on the earth or to clearly represent his identity here on the earth. For you are man made in the image and likeness of God. That image of God is stamped upon every human being. The likeness of that image or the way that we put the attributes of God on display in our very life are evident in the purpose of that we believe that we are even created for. For example, if you believe that the purpose you're created for is to have a comfortable life, then anything that comes against that comfort, you begin praying against that, eliciting God's help to show up and fix the problem. This doesn't demonstrate a love for God. This just demonstrates that we believe God is our handyman. Now you say, what's wrong with that? Why can't you just come and fix the thing? If the point is the fix, and understand the point of the prayer ought to be him, not the problem. It seems to go against logic and reason, but this is the way the fix happens. 
when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, then the things that are evil, violent, and all mixed in with some good here in the world, suddenly all begin to conspire to work together where the goodness comes out. The evil is neutralized. The darkness is dissipated and ultimately defeated when we turn our eyes to him. I think of what David said in the Psalms when he's surrounded by enemies that are breathing out cruelty, they're threatening his life. And he says, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. And I will offer in your tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. You know what it sounds like in that verse? That David lost sight of the negative circumstance in his life to turn his attention to the Lord, to fix his eyes on the Lord. And this is what Hebrews says. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Think about what negative circumstances do. They're like spoiled children in your life. They vie for your attention. They vie for your affection. They somehow clamor to grab a hold of your attention and arrest it. Look at us, they're saying. Look at me, it's saying. Even the positive circumstances going on in your life. Let's say you just won the lottery. Let's say you just got a tremendous inheritance. Let's say you came into a tremendous amount of wealth. It ends up oftentimes pulling our attention away from the Lord. Suddenly we're so busy now, consumed with what we want to do and fulfilling the dreams in our heart, we don't have time to corporate gather for worship anymore. We don't have time to, to gather together and pray with others anymore. The problems of other people don't really concern us anymore. And so we, we stop focusing in on the things of God. I believe for many Christians, God is no more than a means to an end, a means to an answered prayer for self-gratification an answered prayer for somehow the ability to remain within the comfort zone that I'm in, as if nothing should come in that is remotely unpleasant. You know, Paul said it like this, that we might know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. In the valley of the shadow of death, whether it's in the power of resurrection, healing, and health, or it's in moments of suffering, he's not far from us, and he can be known in all of it. As a matter of fact, he is there present with us, suffering with us when we suffer, rejoicing with us when we rejoice, laughing with us when we laugh. God is not present to e eliminate all of our discomfort. God is present in the midst of all of our comfort and discomfort. And neither one of those things are meant to draw our attention and affection away from him. But we know that we have become less enamored with love for the Lord when it becomes so easy for prayers to be guided by the problems or circumstances or situations in our lives or the life of somebody else. You know that somebody's going through something and immediately the, oh, we got to pray for that person. What are we praying for? Are we praying that the suffering would cease? Or are we praying that they would come to a greater revelation of Jesus? That might seem kind of crazy, but listen to this phrase with me. If Paul said in Ephesians 1.17, he prays for the church in Ephesus. And understanding that every church was facing challenges, Paul prayed, 
I pray that God would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. See, I believe if our prayer will first be toward him, like our prayer is just just for him, then we will begin to see every circumstance and situation in this life as what it, for what it is, a distraction to somehow draw our attention off of Christ. And if we will pray for people going through every single circumstance, that God would grant them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, then perhaps in the midst of the circumstance, whether it's good or bad, positive or negative, wealth or sickness, whatever it's happening in their life, that their attention would be drawn to the presence of the Lord in the middle of the circumstance, to the point where the circumstance would no longer have influence over the affection of our heart. And in every way, we'd find ourselves more enamored with him. And here's the thing. In the midst of worshiping him, David finds victory. He doesn't die in the battle. He lifts his head to see that this is a moment of worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, worshiping the Lord, seeing him high and lifted up, seated on the throne, his head lifted up above his enemies around about him. And now he's going to offer what? In the tabernacle of God, who we are in the new covenant. That's us internally now. No matter what's going on in my life, my body, you might be fighting a disease, you might be fighting debt, you might be fighting all kinds of different things. Lift your head up above the circumstance of the enemy around about you and offer internally in his tabernacle, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a sacrifice of joy. Now, what's a sacrifice? A sacrifice is not payment for something. You're not paying God with a prayer so that he'll show up and fix the problem. It's not God the handyman here, and he's not the Godfather, as my good friend Jim says. Uh, he, he, is, he is our Lord. He's our Savior, the lover of our soul, the very creator of the universe who stamped us with his own image and likeness, creating us for fellowship with him, for, for the, the purpose of creating a, 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 a being to represent the very artwork of God in the earth today so that you and I would put his glory on display. You're a carrier of the glory of God. So he says, and I will offer sacrifices of joy. A sacrifice is an offering. Offering in his tabernacle, a sacrifice of joy. It's not paying a payment here. It's not paying off a debt. A sacrifice and an offering actually is not something that God requires. It's something that we need. An offering, giving an offering to God, he has everything. What else does he need? He asks of us an offering or sacrifice, not because he needs it, but because we need it. You know, in, in, in many times in church, in offering time, I begin to realize, I look around and say, well, the church is very prosperous. I see this church has a lot of money. Church doesn't need my money. Obviously, God doesn't need my money. But you know what needs to happen in that moment? My heart does not need to be attached to the things of this world. And every time I give an offering to God, Every time I give in an offering, I am reminding my flesh, first off, that you're not attached to the mammon, the wealth of this world. You're not attached to a spirit of mammon or wealth that grips my heart. In this world, the, the mantra is money is power. Wealth is power. 
In the kingdom of God, that's not the case. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And love is really the only power. Against love, the Bible says, there is no law. And so you and I have the capacity to operate with the power of God. That is the force of, of, of the creator of the entire universe, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ within us at all times. If we think that money is the greatest power, then giving an offering to God is going to become very difficult. But when we realize that he's already given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, in him all his promises are yes and amen then giving an offering of finance to God merely tells me where my priorities lie. You, you want to show a person's love for God, look at their checkbook, find out what they give, find out what they're, how they're blessing people in their life, how they're looking for opportunities to be radically generous in their life, or are they hoarding up wealth for themselves to meet personal needs? Listen, it's really good to be responsible with finance and money to the point where you can take care of the bills that you have. But when it comes to actually extra money, do we spend it on ourselves? Or is it something that we go, God, I want to give an offering to you. We find a ministry perhaps to, to support. We find a person in need in our life that, that we want to bless. Uh, somebody we know or maybe somebody we don't even know. You know, I have a friend that was directed to give an offering. He felt really strongly directed by the Lord to give an offering to somebody who didn't need the money. And and when he did, something happened inside of his heart. He began to realize that, that God was detaching his heart's affection away from the things of this world. And he found greater joy. Why? Because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I've had people that have told me similar circumstances to my own in this. And that is when you see somebody homeless on the side of the road. It may not be all the time that God directs you to bless that person, but sometimes it might. And, you know, the first thought that often comes to mind is, well, what are they going to spend it on? They're probably just going to go and spend it on dr uh, drugs or alcohol and just waste it. But see, the point is not uh, uh, their stewardship of the money. Uh, that's not our business or our responsibility at that point. The point is obedience to the Lord. And when you feel like the Lord is telling you to give something of yours to somebody just because he simply asked you and impressed it on you, on the other side of that obedience is a revelation of joy. And that's the deal. I'll offer in your tabernacle sacrifices of joy, King David says. What is joy? Strength. Now, when you are going through a circumstance where you're surrounded by enemies, where you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, what do you need more than anything else? Strength. David does something in this moment that is a shift in perspective from lower level perspective to higher level perspective. And that's the only thing that shifted right now is David's perspective. But what he's done in the perspective shift is he's literally ascended his entire being into a different realm, a realm where now the, the strength of the joy of the Lord breaks off the fear of the enemies around about him. And that breaking off the fear neutralizes the power they have in his life to the point where the enemies of David never took his life. I believe that if we will see every negative circumstance around us, like David saw the enemies round about him, if we will lift our eyes, shift our perspective and ascend into a place where it's not the circumstance that's the focus of the prayer, it's Jesus, it's him alone, more of you, more understanding, wisdom, knowledge, revelation of you. 
just as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that God would grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I believe the answered prayer that we are desiring is in our focus on Jesus, not the circumstance. How often have I stood before people who want me to pray for something specific? And I'm praying for that specific thing. We in, in, intentionally partner with their fixation on that particular issue. The issue then becomes the point of the prayer. We find ourselves, I think, in those moments, often feeling like maybe we at least you know, accomplish something, but many times the attitude of the heart doesn't change. And let me ask you an honest question. Can you say a lot of times you've seen the circumstance itself change? Uh, maybe not right away, but you say, well, eventually things sort of resolve. And whether it was God or not, who knows? But is your joy, is your peace tied to the resolution of the circumstance? Or is it tied to the presence of Jesus? Because if in the middle of the circumstance you can gather two or three or more together, then what ends up happening? He says, there I am in the midst. In that place, his presence is able to be perceived. And if the joy that comes from his presence is not a greater desire than the fix of the circumstance, then perhaps our love for the Lord has grown cold. I don't say this for condemnation or judgment. I just want a self-examination here in this moment for you to, to understand that the answer to the prayer that you're praying is not about praying about the circumstance. It's praying that, that your wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the presence of the Lord and, and the awareness of that presence would increase. And in that place of presence, you find that the one who is the answer is closer than you think. You begin to, to comprehend his heart. Now, can I tell you what happens in that moment? Often for me, what happens in that moment is an awareness of the proximity of Jesus Christ, awareness of my union with him, awakens within me that resurrection power and authority. And this is what Jesus told us to do when it came to encountering circumstances. He never told us, pray for the sick. James talks about laying hands on and praying for people who are sick, elders of the church. That's a biblical concept. But what Jesus told the, the crowd of disciples in Matthew 10 to do, he said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely given. What are we often praying to do? To receive. If we've already freely received, then what do we need to freely give? This is why we fix our eyes on Jesus in that place of praying in the middle of circumstances so that his presence would reveal to us what we've already freely received. The Bible says we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. So if something is coming against our life, we have been given whatever's necessary in order to fix the problem. The tools are already in our toolbox. Freely we've received, freely give. When we focus on Jesus, again, not the toolbox, not the tools, not the circumstances. When we focus on Jesus, what happens in that moment is he makes us aware of what we have access to in terms of heaven's resources. And in that place, we start to appropriate with authority the solution to the problem, the fix for the issue this is a huge, huge step toward a lifestyle of answered prayer. When we come to God praying simply for our own desires, most of the time, 
All we want to do is just perpetuate our comfort, increase our comfort, restore our comfort, get us back to a place of comfort. (laughs) The reality is the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, is actually within you. Perhaps our definition of comfort needs to change. Perhaps comfort is not the lack of negative circumstances in our lives, but comfort is our awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the middle of our circumstances. When you seek Him first, as Matthew chapter 6 tells us, then everything else gets dealt with. Seek ye first, Jesus says, the kingdom of God. He talks about the poor and the, the, those who mourn and, and those who are in difficult circumstances. But he says to them, here's the answer, the solution to all of it. He says, blessed you are, blessed in the middle of all of these things. In other words, the blessing of God is not lifted off of your life because you're going through negative circumstances. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. This is not an issue of going after justice in the middle of injustice. This is establishing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is established in our hearts when circumstances lose the power to sway us, whether to the positive where we become so wealthy and and self-comforting that we forget God and we can walk away from him altogether, Or circumstances become so negative that we think that God has forgotten us and we deny his name and walk away from him. In Proverbs 30, Egor, a man named Egor praised this. He's like, God, don't give me too much so I forget you and don't give me so little that I deny you. He says, give me a balance of everything like right in the middle. But even that is like getting your eyes off the point. It's not about what you get from God. It's about who you get from God. Remember we started the broadcast today? The first words in in the gospel of John, Jesus speaks her, what do you seek? And then the words after the resurrection, he confronts Mary with her, whom do you seek? In prayer, we often begin with a what. As we grow in maturity, that what turns into a who. And pretty soon, it's all about him. So then, are you ready for this? You don't need any circumstances to provoke you to prayer. Your, Your prayer life now is purely a relational connection with the one who loved you before you even were. The one who loves and knows you more than you know yourself. The one who cares for you more than any human being ever can or ever will. All prayer becomes a heart connection with the Lord. And you can be in the most negative circumstance of all, but you turn your attention, your affection to Jesus Christ. And in fixating our attention on Jesus Everything gets dealt with. We seek first the kingdom, but we don't seek a kingdom without a king. To seek the kingdom is to seek the king. The presence of the king establishes the authority of the kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things, Jesus said, will be added unto you. All the things you're seeking for, all the answers you're looking for, all the solutions you're trying to find, They don't come before first seeking him. Make him your first prayer. Somebody says, would you pray for me for something? Take a moment, take a hold of their hands, lay a hand on their shoulder, draw your attention to Jesus. Jesus, we acknowledge your presence. We want to see you above and beyond everything else. Lord, reveal yourself to us in the middle of this moment. 
Reveal to us your heart for this moment. Speak to us and take a moment just to listen. Let the Lord speak comfort into the heart. Let him speak life into the heart. When you begin to realize the healer is present, the healer is there, then the authority to release healing will rise up in the middle of the circumstance and you can actually see healing take place. Listen, we, we've got to move away from the immaturity of seeing Jesus as our handyman, our problem solver, the genie in the bottle, the doctor that we call when we have a problem, the, 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 the plumber we call when we, we, we need a leak fix, the, the mechanic we call when the car breaks down. He's not the problem solver God that, that simply shows up to fix all of your issues so you can go back to living selfishly. The entirety of the point of life here in this earth and ultimately the point of prayer is to connect us to him, to, to reveal our reconciled rest in our union with the Lord. I hope this makes sense to you today and whatever you happen to be going through today, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and I know a lot of them are very serious, but you know who's more serious about your serious issues? And that is Jesus. Draw your attention to him. Let him teach you in the middle of your circumstance and every answer you're looking for will be added in the right moment, way, time. I can't pretend to understand how God's going to work all things together for your good, but I can promise you this. We haven't reached the end of the story yet. And when it's all said and done, all the things work together for good on one condition to those who love God and to those who have responded to his voice to ultimately walk in his purpose. Well, you can write to us here at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. The address again, Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Listen again at BillVanderbush.com, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And to support this broadcast specifically, go to VanderbushMinistries.com and go to the Give page. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.